Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of once again making a left turn and finding yourself in a place that nobody can imagine. And it's not Albuquerque. It's so much more interesting than Albuquerque. Oh, yes. There are talking bunnies. Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) This week we are talking about Hardwired Hinterland Edition 2. Those of you who uh, are not familiar with this game, it is a product of TriTac Games. Uh, It's from out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, This game was promised 40 40 years ago, probably. Wow. (laughs) It was... Yeah, a lot. I mean, it was definitely by the end of the '80s. It was it was slated to come out real soon now, and by Richard Taholka, the guy who was the head of TriTac and the only employee, and with lots and lots of friends who are willing to work for free. Yeah, what, so, what's the term? Cheap cook and bottle washer. Yeah. Yes, indeed, yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. and yeah, and mm-hmm. and a. And a uh, and a very good one he was. Uh, he managed to uh, put forth many editions of each of his games, uh, receive accolades from uh, many nationally recognized uh, gaming groups, and is a warm spot. Uh, and right now there's like five different Facebook groups that are all uh, associated with TriTac Games and their products, including this one. Anyways, but we are not a house organ for uh, TriTag Games. Uh, we consider ourselves to be independent, though we have a very warm spot in our hearts for many of those games, having played them, when the rest of you guys didn't, because you didn't know about them. What's that term, Trav? Uh, best kept secret in role-playing, yeah. That's right. In gaming was the term you always used. Yeah. Used. It works. Anyways, yes. So uh, a, a company that had all that you thought you would have heard of, but he never advertised. So <laughs> thought that word of mouth would be enough. And uh, of course, anybody who ever went to Gen Con uh, those, and lived in the uh, Michigan, Detroit, Ohio area, what we refer to as the Midwest, okay, would have known many and many of the games that he produced and were had many fans. Uh, let's see, uh, Conclave, Confusion, uh, Early Days of Penguicon, oh, let's see, uh... Yeah, but nobody, no, nobody south of the Mason-Dixon line where I live has ever heard of any of those. Oh, no, no. Rich was definitely a, a Midwest boy. That's a given. I'm just saying, if you were in the Detroit area in like the set, uh, 80s and 90s, and you were here in the area where I am now, 
those would be the cons where Rich would have been running those games and also Gen Con and Origins down in um, Columbus. Right, because, you know, uh, TSR was out of uh, a small town just north of Chicago. And so this the entire area was basically uh, the feeder lines of all that gaming. And when pod gaming podcasts started coming out, it's no surprise to me that they also you know spawned out of St. Louis, it seemed to me. It seemed to be the hotbed of uh, gaming podcasts. Uh, but, of course, people... As a podcast, people could be from anywhere. But you know, that same Midwest area has always been the mainstay for these things. So if you're not from any of those places and you decided to say, what is this hardwired hinterland thing? Is this cyberpunk? Is this, you know, because cyberpunk's a big thing right now. It is and it isn't. And we'll be glad to tell you about it. It's anything you want it to be, baby. I don't know what this is selling for. Did, did anybody go on to... Uh, RPG now and find out what the oh god I, I I bought it from the site itself oh god I want it well someone go do that while we're talking uh, I read everything but I didn't go into great detail to, to any of it you know because I have read this thing before so I'm saying is is that um, it's it's hard to talk about what is my favorite environment other than what was already my favorite environments. I would say that uh, the newest Environ that I really liked what they did there was... Um, by the way, Bruce, uh, 1995 for edition two of Hardwired Hinterland. Okay, well, that seems like a fair price considering what you're getting. And 100, 110 extra pages from the first edition. 140, 146 okay. as opposed to the now 252. Okay, so you're getting a, a whole lot more is what I'm trying you know, to say. I know some people are going to love Kaju, uh, Kaju Islands, but um, I really uh, was interested in Halcyon because Halcyon, what happens is, is that you get recruited to go there for some reason because you're the best person and you were fated to come. And when you go there, you have adventures. And when you leave, you can't remember what they were. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You did something while you were there, and it was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know that it was amazing, and all these things happened. So it's basically, um, you know, instead of having to send everybody out to the furthest edge of the environs, which is the way most... Most games are says, okay, this is what it is. If you don't like to want to play in our little playset here, then there's all these additional environs on the outer edge that you can go and make your own. Okay, they've got an environ basically very much in the, uh, uh, in the core, core group that essentially you could do whatever you want to with it as a GM. And, and some people think that uh, it is a, a virtual world that everything that happens there happens in some magical or whatever cyberspace where people think alternate reality. And so every time you go there, it can be a different story completely, a completely different setting. Everything can be different. So because we, they basically give you permission to do that. Uh, so it's, it's their way of basically saying whatever you want to put here is there. And uh, without you know, worrying about things like how well does it integrate with the rest of the of, of the setting. They basically tell you that it doesn't matter. Whatever happens there, your your player characters, 
not your players, of course, um, are unless you hit the ball on the head as they leave the as they leave the session. Uh, they're, they're not going to remember what happened there, but of course they will gain what you know whatever boon they get from going someplace. If they've learned new skills, then maybe they still know they should still know those skills. They might be able to take some objects away with them. They just really won't know what happened there. So it's it's a huge um, get out of jail card kind of thing where your characters can go completely against type while they're there knowing that they their character will be redeemed once they leave because they won't remember what they did so if you were a if you played a character that was always the quiet type you could be really boisterous if you played the character that was always good you could play the evil if you were the character that was always you know shy and demure you can be the uh, you know femme fatale uh, or hom hom fatale is that the male male term for it? Hmm. I think in, in Nor speak that was the protagonist. Yeah. So uh, I'm saying I, I I was kind of fascinated by that because they 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 do offer that and they don't really describe it and that's one of the few that doesn't have a whole lot of description on it either for obvious reasons. They're not going to tell you what towns are there or all this other thing, but they do give you a little bit of information about it, like what the environment is like, you know, and and things like that. So, uh, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, was there any place that any of you guys were really smitten by? People explore magic cost just for the horror and the fear, because this was the environment where, as it's described, it is, seems to be a magnet for all the dark magics. There are people there, the zombies who think they're still alive, wandering around. Bad magic flows through the place. I just want to have some player characters crash land on that environment and have to try and find their way off. Yeah, the term toxic magic is 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 what is not at all understated. <laughs> I think it, it describes how like other other environs, when they get their goods, they have to set them aside just in case they're contaminated by the toxic magic. That sounds so interesting to me. A, a place so cursed that even anything that comes out of that place, everyone's like, mm, let's, let's hold off and wait a bit for that. For me, I would have to, I'd be, I'd be all about Noram just to see what all could be there. Because, yeah, this, let's see. Noram gets a... They get a huge facelift. They have a, a protag an evil pro uh, an evil protagonist yeah. that, uh, that wasn't there before. And uh, she is, she is uh, somebody that has her fingers in many areas around her. So it's a good... It, it basically really opens it up. By having somebody to focus on there. Oh yeah, Noram got like nine pages, and that includes the background character on this woman and the resulting adventure. And just it it would be the one place if you wanted to go high tech. If you're like, oh god, I'm sick of the DC nines and the diesel powered cars. I want to get power armor. Okay, if you're lucky, you might get it because there are things there that probably want that armor too. So, 
I want to ride a killer robot. Exactly. I, w- I want a mecha. Yeah. All, you know, because it is a um, post-apocalyptic uh, super science. And the picture that's in, in the book for it, I, I really think that under really underestimates it because, um, it you know, the, the big... It looks like the building they have in there looks like it's about 50 stories tall. Okay. These are 5,000 foot tall buildings that interlink with each other, forming a vast mega city. Oh, yeah. When we look at the map before, there were like three giant mega, mega buildings on this island. And remember, these islands are 200 miles by 200 miles. And we're seeing something about a hundred miles long. It's one building. Okay. But it's not monolithic. It's, you know, all kinds of connections and holes in them and rifts and, and there's been, you know, and and it looks like it's been through uh, Terminator hell and some, and and there are Terminators in there, though they may not call themselves Terminators. I'm just saying, but so it's a place where you can find some really cool stuff uh, super science type stuff, but it's going. You're they're gonna you're gonna pay for it with uh, limbs that need to be regrown. Yeah, <laughs> it's not easy to get, and she has made it her headquarters. So, and she's up on the like the the practically the top of Spire Seventeen, I think it is Spire Twelve, all of rooms, all of floors six forty four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, uh, you have to, uh, uh, you have to get up to her if you want to do something with her, you know? <laughs> because they don't mention, uh, and, and because you don't want to, fl- this is one of those places you don't want to fly over because there are, you know, attack drones and things like that. That'll just come for you. So, uh, you need, everybody gives the Island, the environ a wide berth, except those that are coming here, in which case they land. There is one place that you can go to, and then from there go to Noram City proper. It's up in the what would be the northwestern corner of the island called Ellis Junction. Right, and it's, it's in the corner. Yeah, away <laughs> from all of this, you have to travel to Noram City proper. Yeah, which would be at least you know twenty to forty miles. Oh, easily, yeah, and that's over. Lands, you know, uncontrolled landscape covered with mutated ve- uh, vegetation, animals, mutants. Uh, I always said mutants, but anyways, uh, uh, you know, as I say, killer robots and anything else. So, uh, but it is possible to live here. There are, uh, you know, you know, you can fight your way through, and there are natives who live there who've learned the lay of the land and how to avoid certain things and use false. Uh, leave false trails and whatever. So uh, I'm just saying it's, it's not like it's an impenetrable killer fortress that you uh, can't go into. It's definitely you can't, but it's going, that's where I would want that backpack thing where you can move at 35 miles an hour. Yep. <laughs> you know, just try not to run in anything because it's going to hurt uh, because that way you can cover a lot of territory really fast and jump and maybe even jump up on top of some of these buildings. So they, the 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 mutant uh, ground squirrels don't come at don't can't reach you fast enough because after all they're squirrels they can climb. <laughs> so, anyways, um, okay, yeah, Noram. Any others? 
Hmm. I don't know. If I wanted to do the Wild West thing, I'd probably go to Arkansas. Our Kansas, rather. Actually, um, uh, Little Texas is probably better. Yeah. But because I having having run in both. Ah. The west the western theme is a little bit better in our Texas, but it's not it's definitely not the same. Our Texas is more of like Dodge City surrounded by desert, things like that. While uh, uh, our our Kansas is prairies, you know, Midwest that that kind of west. So it's uh, you know it just depends on which version you want to uh, to of the west you want to go to. Yeah, so those uh, it'd be okay. Those two. Um, yeah. Well, because Little Texas is eighteen ninety seven. Uh, our Kansas is more. 1863. Yeah, 30 years difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to, under, to explain about this time thing uh, is, is that people, uh, essentially, they go to an environment because they want to live a certain kind of life. And that life is usually in some way bounded in a time period. Okay? Because as time goes on, things would change, right? But what happens is they don't want it to change. So in a lot of places like New Old New York, every 10 years, they set their clocks back 10 years and just act as if everything the previous 10 years didn't happen. Yeah, I think they relive, was it, the 20s or the 30s? They live the, the decade of the 30s over again. So when it gets to 1939, okay, they flip over the calendar and it's 1930 again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, you know, they just basically, and they're fine with that. I mean, it's not like something magical happens and everybody loses their memories. They just choose to act. They, they, they play their parts. It's like a giant cosplay where you're just perfectly happy starting off at the beginning and going through, you know, or as some people say, it's the middle. We don't do the beginning. We don't do the end. We just do the middle. So they just keep doing the same part. Um, and of course, you know, you, you can go have so many different adventures because, you know, uh, you know, what you did the first or previous 10 years, you could turn around and do something else. You know, you might have been a longshoreman during that first 10 years. Now you can be a, a, a person working in an office now, or you can change and, and uh, be a bicycle messenger or, or uh, run a pizza place. Oh, you know what would, what would really be good in running a new old New York, what to run in? Pulp. Yeah. A pulp era campaign. There's lots of game systems, you know, that are very specifically tailored to enhance, to presenting the kind of flavor that a certain era of, of American or other types of history are. And, and uh, nowhere in the game does it say, no, you can't have different game systems. I mean, if you want to say, well, when we... We're going to write up our characters in all these different systems. Oh! When we go to an environ that's that type, we'll play them that way in that game system. Oh! Nobody's telling you not to do that. Oh! Yeah. Whatever enhances you, Mr. Shepherd, that has given me a dangerous idea for my the the hardwire. After I bought this off the site, I said, "Yeah, I'm going to plan up a hardwire hitter campaign." Oh! You've just returned the favor for me, giving you my notes on the Forgotten Realms for Fringeworthy. Thank you. <laughs> 
You're quite welcome. And, and if anybody's in my games, they're like, oh, damn it. Thanks a lot, Bruce. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always will. I'm always ready to make make your life worse. Na nasty message from Fur in the chat in three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not in that campaign, Robert. Yeah, well, you know. No, that, that is something that totally blindsided me there, that different environs, you can use different rule systems. Wow. Yeah, right. Oh. Because essentially reality is different, so it makes sense. And I would even see that, okay, let's because you have different rule systems, let's say on one you use Pathfinder, OGL, D20, D20, Modern, all that. On another one, you use the Palladium setting. Another one used Savage Worlds. Another one you use um, Fate. Uh, another one you use Fudge. And so you make up that that'd be the thing. Okay, you're making up the same character for five campaigns or five different systems. Most gamers, their jaws would hit the floor. They'd be like, what? Say, and then you find out why. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think that, first of all, that would be for relatively advanced gamers to be able to switch. I mean, first of all, you have to have knowledge of all five systems to run a campaign like this, you and your players. So, ooh, excuse me. But yeah, it can be done. This is not something you'd want to bring a newbie into. No, but... <laughs> well, it's not that hard. I mean, if you just did one or two, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, for example, if you went to worlds that were primarily magical and you used, like, AD&D rules... Yeah. Fine. Okay. You go someplace else where it's more hard bitten, and you need to use uh... spycraft. Spycraft. Okay. I was thinking of the the is it the Cortez uh, the Cortana Cortex Cortex, Cortex. Cortex is used for a lot of the the TV IP systems. Yeah. See. So it just depends. You know, if you want something where you know uh, it's all about you know the action. Okay. Ooh, the ooh, the feng shui system from Atlas Games. Oh, that would work too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, I mean, I would say that if you wanted to do that, you had image uh, inexperienced players. I would just maybe shorten it down to just like you know two, and just kind of put them into that. But what, anyways, the point was is that you know it's the game The game itself um, encourages you to you know be di be creative. Do different things, you know. Don't uh, don't be limited. Okay, there is no gender bias in this game. There is no racial bias in this game. Okay, uh, because these people are dropping in from all times and places. Uh, nobody really makes a big deal about any of that kind of thing. So there's no PCism. All right, you know. Uh, there uh, it specifically says that all religions get along with each other. Oh, yeah. Yep. So it's not going to be like, you know, when you play D&D &D and the elves hate the dwarves and you got these, you know, battling religious systems and stuff like that, you know, which causes a lot of, of well, you know, um, prejudicial behavior. Uh, you probably will not find that. Uh, Richard designed this game to, as Melody referred to, as his Shangri-La as this place where you could go and, you know, live a good life, you know, without disease, without age, without, you know, uh, where, you know, where you wouldn't have to worry about hunger, 
you could die. It could happen. But, you know, you you could basically live the life you wanted to live without having to worry about the little day-to-day -day things that seem to be so so necessary in our world. So, you know, it's a true escapist um, nirvana. And that's what he wanted. And that's I think that's one of the reasons it took so long for him to get this game out is because Richard literally had to live a life before he could imagine a life that was free of those kinds of constraints. I think I think all all the games he wrote before this led him to yeah. to finally writing it. it. It truly was his magnum uh, opus. Magnum opus, yeah. Um, yeah. I've talked with Mel since Rich's passing, and she pretty much told me this is where Rich is now. He didn't go on the fringe paths. He went to the hinterland. He took that was his left turn, and he's there now. <laughs> younger, healthy. And I, and I looked at her and I said, and we know who else is there with him arguing and bickering Terry Williams. And she just busted out laughing <laughs> because yeah, it, it, it's, um, Terry was a dear old friend of Rich. He passed away, um, about a year before Rich did. So 2016. And yeah, they, another case of, of brothers like Bruce and John are to Rich and just, yeah, when I realized, yeah, I could see Rich and Terry bickering like an old married couple in the hand. Yeah, I could, I, I can imagine it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just, but that, that was. I think Mel told me that at a, either Continuum or yeah, at a con, and she mentioned that not because I, I kept thinking it was Fringe where he went through the Fringe portal, and she kindly corrected me on that. So yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of. Other games in what I I dubbed the Tahulkaverse. There are connections. Oh yes, it would not be a TriTech game if this game was not connected to others. And there is not one, but no, no, there are two connections to the to to Bureau Thirteen and Fridge Worthy and all of that. One of them. Let me get to the right page here. It is. Bureau 13. There is a connection there. And it would be, well, page three in the book, page 10, if you're on a PDF reader. Uh, Russ Edwards, the iconic character in this game, uh, 26, a successful computer technician for a large Midwest insurance company. At best, he was an average person with friends, an older brother with a big family, and a new condo in Chicago. He bicycled on weekends with a science fiction writer named Robert Harrison. I think, I think Robert needs to stop having friends and family. <laughs> yeah, they always yeah. get wrapped up in stuff. Bad things happen to all of Robert's acquaintances. Yeah, Joanna Barnes ends up getting abducted by pirates. Yep. This guy takes a left turn. Uh, after a really bad Christmas holiday and ends up here in the hinterland. Next thing you're going to tell me, Ed Powers is like a, a nephew of his or something. Funny you mention Ed Powers. <laughs> there is another connection within, air quotes again, the Tahulkaverse for this game. 
if you're riding out there on the fringe paths and you happen across positive 122,8. And I feel like now I'm, you know, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. We shall consult the blue, big blue binder of fringe worlds. Hinterland Hardfall. Warp is 20 feet above shallow water and a beach. This strange place is called the Hardwired Hinterland. Explorers soon discover the beach is a trolling zone for hungry giant squid. Exploration shows an interior with a small airstrip called DeRocher Field. It is a friendly place with a bar where the patrons will help the Fringeworthy. This is even mentioned later on. Down, and this is toward the end here. Something that Mel put in as far as everything connecting. And yeah, it... I mean, I, I saw that and I knew that years ago, but there is something actually in here. Page 31 in the PDF, I think. So the point is, is that, you know, everybody, when they read this book, uh, finds a place that they really would like to do adventuring in. And that's one of the big charms of this book is the fact is that since it does cover so many things uh, and now there is considerably more detail uh, they do give you, um, you know, a good opportunity. I complained in the past editions uh, saying that you've got all this, but you don't actually have a campaign, something for people to actually do. You have a single adventure, uh, which, you know, is, is kind of two things combined to one, which is the Voyage of the Space Beagle and uh, Pig and a Pokey. Okay, and, and that's pretty much all there was in the Hardwire Hinterland. And if you didn't do that adventure, you didn't really know specifically what else to do. And so I came up with a campaign that we talked about on the podcast. You're welcome to go and search that out about what I thought would be a good, um, uh, a good campaign that would link a whole number of environs, give them a reason to go to them, give them something to do at every one of them, and... Uh, allow them to uh, essentially run a campaign in it uh, rather than a single adventure. Now, they don't give you an overarching campaign in this book. However, because there is basically an adventure on every single Environ, then at least there is, and there may be more than one, uh, the GM has something to go with. It wouldn't be hard for a GM to look over it and say, well, I like these five or six different adventures, and so I'll make a, a link. I'll, 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 I'll modify them or I'll add some kind of, of um, um, transitioning story uh, or reason that brings you from one to the other, which is kind of what I was doing, uh, so that I have basically a decent uh, a story arc. Uh, so th that you might run for rather than just a month, maybe a number of months, you know, until they finally finish up the uh, the adventure. So uh, and at which point they could then say, well, we really want to learn more about this. We really want to learn more about that. And then and then expand it from there. But at least it, it, it gives you more to work with, especially if you're a new GM, because, you know, we are asking you to start off with a basically a whole new game system, I mean, a whole new game world 
with your favorite game system. So, you know, it is a step up from basically being handed everything with a game system already integrated into it, like you would if you were playing a, a campaign in D&D or some other, other games. Okay, so uh, there is a little bit more effort to be made, but you're not going to find a game like this anywhere else. It is worth the journey. It is worth the effort. Um, and um, again, I highly recommend it, especially in its new version with all the additional material. Did you find that, Trev? Yeah, I did find out exactly. And I did put that it was in Portals, I believe, to, as I said, uh, negative or positive 122 comma 8. There is more about the link between this game and Fringeworthy. I will not divulge it, but it gets deep. I will leave it <laughs> at that. So if you, you get that page of the, uh, uh, of the Fringeworthy maps, you're saying there's more information there about the, the hinterland that's even in the hinterland book? Oh, no, no, no. Well, if you look on the new Akron map, there is no DeRocher field. It's just, you can just, oh, it's some little field off on the side and all that, and add it into the campaign. Because remember, Portals 2 is probably done, I think, in the 90s, Rich did put those out. Okay, well, this here, this bit, I'm sure came out, it, you know, it was a pure second edition thing, and that was put out last year, 2019. As I mentioned, because uh, uh, planes are so light uh, and they have so much lift, because they're almost always using existing planes that have been retrofitted, they can take off from and land on very short runways. So this very easily could be a, lo uh, a local uh, airport to uh, a, a small town on the Environ. Yeah, because not all of New England, or New England, New Akron is mapped, just the major areas. You can have yeah. little spots elsewhere that the GM, oh, the DeRocher Field's right here. There you go. It's on New Akron. There's a bar there and your fringe where the uh, portal's always on. It's listed in the in the portals. Uh, yeah, they walk through that open warp and there they are walking around and they find this airfield. And yeah, just, yeah, you can just throw that in there. As I said, it's not on the main map if you go to New Akron. As I said, your GM can just place it anywhere on the environment. But yeah, when I read the little, it's a sidebar in the second edition. I was just like, I mean, it was something I didn't even know. I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> because I knew about the portals entry, but not this new fact. And yes, you have to get the game to find it. I'm not going to spoil it. No. <laughs> All right. So um, anything else you want to bring up that... Uh... Uh, uh, that you thought was a big enhancement in the new game, a new version? Oh, let's see here. Wait a minute, Bruce, didn't we do another episode on Hardwired Hinterland and it was about the Triangle Trade? Yes, we did. Yeah, triangle. okay, so... We did Triangle yes. Trade. We did uh, my... Uh, we, we, uh, we did, an, like I said, the, there was the fiasco uh, adventure that took place on Etiwongo. Uh, we uh, did um, my... Uh, my talking about a campaign and what we did with there, uh, we talked. We did. We talked about animals and why. Why aren't cats in charge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, only because they don't want to be. That's why. It, well, it's because it's their nature not to be. 
We, we, we even we went deep in that one, folks. We went into the biology of cats to talk about why they were ill-suited to be the rulers, um, uh, except in name only, of an environment. Well, you got to remember with cats, <laughs> they ruled in ancient Egypt. They just never got the memo that ancient Egypt's gone. So no, they why... were worshipped. It's different. See, they're great for the worship part. We worship you, oh, great feline goddess. Yes, yes. But... Having them actually do stuff like you know, make you know, make up plans for levies and things like that. Right. Yeah. No, no. They're not that great at administration. They're not. They're terrible administration. They want. They want to. They want to kick sand all over it. That, that's why <laughs> dogs. And I say this, and I'm not. I'm not belittling cat owners out there. No, I'm a cat owner. Dogs have owners. Cats have staff. Just, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Anyways, um, so uh, yeah, we did like you know five or six. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, a bunch because you know we we ha finally got our hands on this and we wanted to see it. You know, because initially, like I said, I looked at it and I said, well, it's a little skimpy. It seems a little light, um, and and so we wanted to see if we could make something of it, and we did. The more we got into it, it was deeply layered. And so that's why we recommend that you do go back and listen to all these podcasts we did on the Hardwire Hinterland because the the game, you know, there's things about the game that only get revealed as you play it. And yeah. so we discovered all kinds of things about the game that were really cool and awesome that... That, that that we shared on, on this podcast, okay? Um, and then now you take that and you add on to it another 100 pages of detail, new environs, uh, a better format, better editing, new pictures. Uh, it's a really, it's, it's, it's a really superior second edition. Uh, oh, yes. Compared to any game out there. Well, if there isn't any more, then... Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to us. I hope you'll run out and buy it. Uh, it's uh, it, it's at at uh, nineteen ninety five for uh, two uh, two and a half a hundred uh, you know two hundred fifty pages. It's uh, two hundred fifty two, including the front and back cover. Uh, I think it's a good deal. Uh, I plan on getting a copy myself, um, and uh, so I can. Uh, get it printed on demand and get a nice, nice pod version uh, of it. And um, and sometime in, in in my future, I'll probably be running some more games out of it. Uh, if nothing else, it, since it is in the fringe world of the universe, we can always drop in. <laughs> I definitely, I, just reading this, um, I I I definitely get the if for people about my age or you know early early 40s i'll go ahead and say that but anyone who might, about my age might remember tailspin the d uh the disney yeah. television show oh yeah this no no so when, tailspin yes yes when we reviewed it and okay down down the way back machine for you longtime listeners jp haley was still on that's how long ago we reviewed this so we are due for the the update of this one but that was the first thing he brought up and i and it hit me like a bolt of blue. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, besides the Bring Them Back Alive, Tales of the Gold Monkey, Indiana Jones, Tailspin totally mm -hmm. evaded me. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, this is exactly it. You could totally run a Tailspin campaign in this and 
not no one battle lash because it 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 a seamless fit. Yeah, that's that diesel punk adventure. Yes. And if you and, and also, you know, like Steam Boy, I mean all so so many advent um anime series that are kind of a fantasy uh version of modern world perfect for these kinds of, for the, the uh, for these kind of environs and the uh, they even included a an enemy they said there is some place outside of the known environs there is a group um, that's basically there and probably going to be butting heads into the uh, known environs pretty soon because one of the environs on the edge they're basically spies for them. And you could very easily uh, have your players uncover that information, and then it's up to you as the GM to basically say, who is this threat? Who is this power center? And I recommend that you listen to our podcast on creating power centers, where we talk about how you can make you know, um, uh, antagonists, you know, not just a single antagonist, but antagonistic cultures against your existing cultures to run into uh, on a long-term basis. Well, thanks everybody for listening to us. I just want more sky pirates. And of course, yes. And, and there's always sky pirates. Yes. If you, yes. If you want pirates, you've got pirates. If you want talking animals, you got talking animals. If you want killer robots, you got killer robots. I want Don Carnage. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Loose hipped South Sea Island men and women, you got that too. Okay, you got uh you got gangsters, you got um uh magicians in robes and staves, you got dragons. It's anything you want it to be, baby. More than that, everything you like is there. So get your hands on a copy, let us know what you do with it, because we love to hear about that sort of thing. And we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, it is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.